It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. There are certain moments in history that prove so momentous that we can remember where we were when we first heard about them. Now, for folks who are a little bit older than me, you might include in this list the assassination of JFK or the landing of man on the moon. Things like those qualify for me. I would certainly include, as we all would, 9-11 in that category. And uh, more recently and locally, the collapse 10 years ago today of Interstate 35W in Minneapolis, uh, an event that was certainly unexpected, shocking, and provocative politically because you know, the immediate question is, how does something like this happen in the United States of America, you know, the, 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 the wealthiest nation, not only on the face of the earth, but throughout the history of human existence, how, how does the, a country that is the pinnacle of Western civilization have a bridge that just collapses without warning? Uh, ostensibly at the time, you know, the, we didn't know what the cause was, uh, but our, our minds were able to drift to the possibility of poor maintenance, right? A lack of funding for the, the maintaining and replacement of roads and bridges. And that, of course, resulted in a lot of discussion that, of course, devolved into partisan rancor regarding how best to fund the uh, transportation system moving forward. A retrospective on this comes to us from MinPost. It reads, it wasn't typical uh, Wednesday evening rush hour traffic, that is to say, when uh, on August 1st, 20, or 2007, cars were crawling across the interstate 35W Bridge near downtown Minneapolis. Ongoing construction work meant heavy equipment was loaded right on the eight-lane bridge deck, slowing things down. Standing in the 90-degree heat, construction workers jackhammered through the roadway. As they crawled across the bridge, drivers could take in the sweeping views of the city's old flour milling district and the Mississippi River below. Then, a moment later, the bridge suddenly buckled and crashed into the river, taking with it 111 vehicles and 13 human lives. It took more than a year for the National Transportation Safety Board to say definitively why it fell. A handful of half-inch thick steel gusset plates weren't quite thick enough to handle design changes made over the years and the unusual amount of weight sitting on the bridge that day. But in the days and weeks following the collapse, news of the dead and images of twisted steel beams and cars submerged in black water invigorated the public and politicians. President George W. Bush visited the site and promised to cut through red tape to rebuild the bridge. And Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty called for an inspection of bridges across the state. Standing next to the wreckage, Minnesota U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar made a simple but powerful statement. A bridge in America shouldn't just fall down. 
In St. Paul, the collapse had an immediate effect on Minnesota's debate on infrastructure funding, which had stalled just months earlier during the legislative session over the politically fraught question of whether to raise gas taxes to pay for road and bridge repairs. Sound familiar? This is an issue that we continue to debate in the here and now. The collapse would jumpstart the debate over the gas tax, leading to a historic veto override vote and billions more spent on the state's network of bridges. The tragedy would also fundamentally change the state's system for inspecting and building bridges. But exactly one decade later, St. Paul is back to gridlock on the infrastructure debate. So what, if anything, is the legacy of the bridge collapse on Minnesota politics and policy? And uh, they go on to focus in on the, the debate that often falls along partisan lines regarding whether or not transportation funding requires a raising of the gas tax. Does it? This is closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. com and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream the program. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. If you miss us live, you can go to your iHeartRadio app and catch the podcast on our new channel there. Just do a search for closing argument. You can still catch us at Spreaker uh, on your Spreaker app or iTunes or wherever it is you've been keeping up with the podcast. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Brad Omlin taking those calls and producing the show, bringing these fine stories to your attention. So, you know... What gets me about this ongoing debate that we're constantly having over the the funding of roads and bridges and transportation and whether or not there ought to be a gas tax is it's characterized. And if you read the comments at this MenPost article, you know, there's not many of them, but they, they all lean left so far. It's very clear that the way the left likes to characterize this is that Republicans slash conservatives just simply don't care about the funding of transportation. If they cared about maintaining roads and bridges, then they would concede to the notion of raising the gas tax. As if the only possible way you could fund this is through an increase in quote-unquote revenue and increase in taxes. Now, of course, that wholly sidesteps by design, wholly sidesteps any consideration of priority, right? Let let me give you an example, a, a local example that comes from in my work as a city council member that kind of, I, I think, can serve as an example of how we ought to be thinking about this. Municipalities don't run, or don't operate their budgets and, and don't uh, engage in taxation in the same way that the state or the federal level does. Typically, when we think about taxes, when we think about raising taxes, quote unquote, raising taxes, we're talking about tax rates, right? We're talking about something like a, increasing the sales tax or increasing the income tax rate on certain categories of people, whatever the case may be. That's not how municipalities raise their money. For a municipality to get more money next year than they had this year, they have to raise their levy, which is a set dollar amount of money that is whatever percentage different than the year it was before. That is a a noteworthy difference between the way municipalities work and the way states and the federal government work. Because the state can just hold its rates flat and get more revenue year over year 
as the GDP increases, as people make more and earn more and there's more productivity in the economy. In fact, you can even have tax rate cuts when you're talking about percentages and still see increases in revenue as a result of the increases in productivity in the economy. That is never the case with a municipality. A municipality always has to increase its levy and thus raise taxes, quote unquote, in order to have more money to do the things that it is tasked with doing. And so how does somebody like me, a conservative, a libertarian, how does somebody like me deal with that institutional contextual reality when it comes to time, and it's that time of year, by the way, to set the budget, set the levy, what have you? Well, I asked myself a couple of questions. One, what is it that we are supposed to be doing, that we've been tasked with doing by the residents of our city? And, and something that can apply to a county or whatever municipality you're talking about. What is it that we're expected to do? And amongst those, whether I agree with them or not, amongst those are things like maintaining the parks, right? Maintaining the, the streets in the city, you know, uh, doing snow removal to one extent or another, providing the, the staff and services that you expect at City Hall, uh, funding the fire department, you know, providing for contracted uh, law enforcement services through the county, you know, there's a number of things that are expected as a result of both tradition and just the, the understood institutional expectation of government. And so once you've established those things, then the next step is, okay, what do we need to do in order to maintain these services at the level that's required? And then three, what does that cost? And that's how you come up with your number. You know, it's obviously a little more complicated than that, but that's the general principle that I operate under. Now, at the state level, it's different because again, they're talking about tax rates and not actually setting the dollar amount that they're going to take in, but you can engage in this same process. Number one, what is it that state government, let's talk about St. Paul, since that's what's relevant to the anniversary of the 35W bridge collapse. What is it that state government is supposed to be doing you know, Tom Emery used to talk about this when he was running for governor. You know, let's go back to the Constitution and let's look at what it is that state government is tasked with doing in the Constitution and, and utilize that to set our priorities, right? Actually determine what it is that we ought to spend dollar one on and then dollar two on and then dollar three on. And if it turns out that you only have enough money to properly do the things that are at the top of your priority list, you're going to end up having to cut stuff. That's the way budgets work. That's the way they work in your house. That's the way they work in your business. That's the way they work. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In your church, you know, there's all sorts of things. I, you know, I've been involved in the, the local governance of uh, a number of organizations including the church that I attend. And th this is a, a, a reality that you face on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. There are, if, if, you had, if, you could, if we had a printing press, there's no limit to the things we could conjure up with as or local organizations or local municipalities to do. 
but you come up against the reality that there's only so much money to spend. And unfortunately, certain, and at the federal level, it's horrific because they actually do have a printing press, quote unquote, in the form of you know the Fed's ability to just conjure money out of thin air, fiat currency. But the state also has this bizarre sense that you can just keep coming back to the money tree that is the taxpayer and plucking more fruit from their labor. And if you, if you don't have any sense of if there if there's no point at which you're willing to draw the line and say, look, we have enough, and now we need to figure out how to live within these means, then you're you're eventually going to get to a point where you're you're suppressing the generation of that revenue in the first place, and that's what we see here in in the state of Minnesota. We see the flight uh, of money. We see people choosing to leave, people retiring and fleeing to other states because they don't want to have to have to be subject to the financial conditions that they find themselves in in this state. And so in that context, it's appropriate to consider, all right, when you look at something like the 35W bridge collapse, obviously transportation ought to be pretty high on our list of things that we're funding as a state. Since we've decided as a culture, generally, that transportation is something that the government has a monopoly on. If you're going to do that, if you're going to say transportation is public, then it must be something you provide and maintain at, certainly at the level where things don't collapse and people die. I mean, that, I think that's a pretty pretty good baseline upon which to start your, your standard forming. So we're not going to let people die on bridges that collapse. So if that's your priority, then that's where you put your money. You just put it there. You have it, so just put it there. And then you worry about how you're going to fund things that are of lower priority after you've allocated for the thing that's the highest priority. That's how things ought to work, unfortunately. As you well know, it quite often doesn't. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, 651-989-5855, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. I think part of the reason why I didn't immediately latch on to this uh, Debbie Washman Schultz story regarding the uh, arrest and bizarre behavior of her IT staffer, what's the guy's name here, something... Amran Awan. I'm never going to get it right. But the reason why I wasn't immediately attracted to that story, I think, has something to do with that Seth Rich thing that came out a while back. Because you know that was floated as a seemingly plausible yet ultimately unsubstantiated explanation for where the DNC hacks came from. And we kind of got burned on that, right? Fox News had to retract the story uh, in, in spite of Alvinity's attempts to make something out of it, he basically ended up being a man alone, you know, him and him and Trump, which, you know, we're going to get to that eventually. Uh, apparently, the only ones uh, who were going to take it seriously for any length of time. And so in that context, it's kind of a boy who cried wolf type situation, right? You know, you, you come up with the next story that plausibly seems to explain uh, or provide an alternative explanation for where these DNC hacks, these DNC leaks came from. And it's, eh, you know, fool me once, shame on you type situation. But as it turns out, there very well may be something to this Debbie Washerman Schultz story. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855, the number to join us. From Politico, a right-leaning ethics group is pushing for a congressional probe into Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz because she continued to employ an IT staffer for months after he became the focus of a criminal investigation. 
the Foundation for Accountability and Civic Trust, known as FACT, a conservative accountability group, is requesting the Office of Congressional Ethics launch an investigation into what the nonprofit says is Wasserman Schultz's apparent breach of House ethics rules for continuing to employ Amran Awan, even after he was blocked from accessing the House IT system earlier this year. Awan was fired by Washerman Schultz last week after being arrested on one count of bank fraud while attempting to leave the U.S. for Pakistan. Nothing at all suspicious there. But Awan and several of his family members, also previous House staffers, have been the center of a criminal investigation for months involving an equipment and data scam on Capitol Hill. Awan and his relatives worked as shared employees for more than two dozen House Democrats in the past several years. After the Capitol Hill investigation came to light in early February, most lawmakers fired the other staffers in question. But Washerman Schultz retained Awan, even though he has been barred from accessing the House IT network since February. Fact maintains there's no way Awan could have performed IT duties for Washerman Schultz over the past six months, despite staying on the Florida Democrats' payroll. This is, this is where their claim gets really interesting and juicy. House staff are compensated with taxpayer funds, and members are directly responsible for ensuring their staff are only paid for official public work, work that has actually been performed and at a rate commiserate with the work performed, Matthew Whitaker, FACT Executive Director, wrote in a letter to the OCE. It was, therefore, contrary to the House ethics rule for Wasserman Schultz to continue to pay Awan with taxpayer funds even after he was barred from the House computer system and could not perform his duties and was also under criminal investigation. David Damron, a spokesperson for uh, Wasserman Schultz, called the complaint entirely baseless. <laughs> but that that's just pulled right out of the cookie cutter, like fresh steaming out of the oven, entirely baseless. This is the definition of substantial. Talk about suspicious. Our office worked with the House Chief Administrative... This is him providing further excuse. Our office worked with the House Chief Administrative Officer to outline a position that allowed us to obtain and our employee to provide valuable services without access to the House network, Damron said. Those services included consulting on a variety of office needs, such as our website and printers, troubleshooting, and other issues. B as in B, S as in S. Well, why would you give anybody who is under criminal investigation access to your website? Right. Well, and why would you, because I presume, it's not indicated here in the article, but I presume that he was being paid at the same rate that he had been being paid before. And to Fax point, the the notion that you're you're utilizing taxpayer funds to provide somebody a compensation for that is not commensurate with what they're actually doing, which clearly he can't, if he's denied access to the very IT network that he's working on. Like, I don't even know how he does these things. How does he work on the website? How does he work on their printers? How does he help trouble? If he, you, you can't access a printer here at this studio, at this building, unless you have access to the network, to the IT network. So what is he, is he like using USB thumb drives? Or I, I don't understand what the what the deal is here. More important than that, of course, is how it is that this is not a bigger story than it is. Because, you know, when, when you go to, I think it, as it continues here in this story at Politico, yeah, they, they try to downplay it towards the end of the article. 
They write, conservative news outlets have seized on the Awan story, floating unsubstantiated claims that as an IT staffer, he may have had access to and then leaked Democratic National Committee emails when Washerman Schultz was running the organization. Federal intelligence agencies have said Russia was behind the DNC leak that ultimately led to Washerman Schultz's resignation, and there's been no evidence tying Awan to the hack. Both Awan's lawyer and Washerman Schultz have previously questioned whether Awan was being targeted because he is a Muslim. After details of the investigation were reviewed with us, my office was provided no evidence to indicate that laws had been broken, which over time raised troubling concerns about due process, fair treatment, and potential ethnic and religious profiling, Washerman Schultz said in a statement. Upon learning of his arrest, he was terminated. And so, obviously, their strategy is to go to the minority victimization card. You know, he's the only reason he's come under scrutiny is because he's a Muslim, not because he was involved in bank fraud and denied access to the House IT uh, network and for some reason inexplicably retained by Washerman Schultz as an IT staffer so that he could dink around with the website and play with the printers. Well, sure, Russia was ultimately responsible for the leaks, but leaks, like security threats nowadays, don't come from the outside. They come from the inside. Most security threats nowadays are inside jobs. Right. And so, I mean... Take, like, I'm not saying that this guy did it automatically, right, but right, like, right, right. that's a fact that needs to be considered in, in the larger scheme of things. It's plausible. Yeah, it's I mean, plausible. And, and, and there's a difference. And, you know, we talked to uh, our, our friend of the show, um, Jeff Lorsung, who called in and briefed us on this, I believe it was late last week, the, the seriousness of this situation as it's developed. And as a guy who works in journalism to... Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. To one degree or another uh, throughout his career, he, he indicated that, you know, this doesn't meet the, the standard, the industry standard of being something that you report as such. Like, you can't report, well, he probably was involved with Washerman Show or with DNC hacks or DNC. You can't even really float that because there is no evidence to that effect at this time. That said... The, these last few paragraphs of this political story really highlight the double standard in the media right now, because their argument is, well, there's no there's no substantiation. Uh, therefore, you know, we're just not going to look at it. Well, how about the story after story after story after story that's come out regarding supposed collusion between the Trump team and Russia, where the just the only justification for pursuing it has been, well, if it did happen, that's really important. Right. Well, if this happened, that's really important. So if that's the standard you're going to float, that the the seriousness of the accusation justifies the investigation, then why isn't there further investigation? Not just like in terms of government investigations, internal congressional investigations, but why is the media focused in on this? Because this is potentially huge. You would think somebody would want to cut their teeth. You know, an aspiring journalist who was trying to make a name for themselves might be interested in this thing, but perhaps it's possible that their partisan inclinations are a little bit stronger than their career ambitions. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. You got me running.
All right, I want to do a little compare and contrast for you to try and uh, challenge whether or not you're consistent in your application of principle. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. We're streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and on your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. You can catch up on podcasts now within that iHeartRadio app as well. Just go to our podcast channel, do a search for Closing Argument, favorite us, and you'll be able to keep up with the shows. Uh, you can also continue to keep up with uh, iTunes or Spreaker or whatever it is you've been using, and we appreciate you doing so. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Brad Ullman taking those calls and producing the show. Let's start by going back to November of last year. The headline at that time, just after or just prior to the election, in fact, from the Washington Post was Donna Brazil is totally not sorry for leaking CNN debate questions to Hillary Clinton. Donna Brazil is not apologizing for leaking CNN debate questions and topics to the Hillary Clinton campaign during the Democratic primary. Her only regret, it seems, is that she got caught. My conscience as an activist, a strategist, is very clear, the interim chair of the Democratic National Committee said Monday during a satellite radio interview with liberal activist and Sirius XM host Joe Madison. She added that if I had it to do all over again, I would know a hell of a lot more about cybersecurity. In other words, Brazil would have made sure that her improper disclosures, which prompted CNN to drop her as an analyst, would not show up in hacked emails published by WikiLeaks. The lesson, apparently, is to pick up the phone or perhaps meet John Podesta in a dark alleyway. All right, so we're going to pause there in this uh, several-month-old article from the Washington Post and bring us up to today from The Hill. A lawsuit filed in federal court claims a Fox News report about slain Democratic National Committee staffer Seth Rich was reviewed prior to publication by President Trump and manipulated at the request of the White House. The lawsuit was filed in U.S. District Court by New York or in New York by a private investigator and Fox contributor who says his quotes in the story, which was later retracted, were fabricated by Fox. Fox News was working with the Trump administration to disseminate fake news in order to distract the public from Russia's alleged attempts to influence our country's presidential election, states the lawsuit filed by Rod Wheeler, a former Washington, D.C. homicide detective who investigated Rich's death. The complaint was filed by Douglas Wigdor on behalf of Wheeler. Wigdor serves as legal counsel for several cases alleging discrimination or harassment by Fox News executives. Now, as a side note, we should, we should focus on, you know, do our due diligence here, who these people are, right? The fact that this guy's lawyer happens to be the same guy who has represented other folks who've gone after Fox News would seem to suggest that there is an agenda of some sort against Fox News that might be informing this lawsuit. The other thing we need to acknowledge is that the claims in a lawsuit are just that, claims, right? That claiming something doesn't make it true. Claiming something does not stand as evidence. You actually have to provide some evidence through through the due process of the lawsuit, which indicates that this actually did in fact happen. So we don't know whether or not President Trump actually uh, was involved in quote unquote fabricating the Seth Rich story. But 
suffice it to say, you know, for, for the sake of argument, let's imagine that he did, right? Let's imagine that he was, that he was involved. Are you okay with that? Let's go back in time again to November of last year, just before the election from the Washington Post, continuing with this article that was written at that time, November 7th, 2016, regarding Donna Brazil, who had leaked debate questions and topics to the Hillary Clinton campaign. She justified her actions, saying that if she had it to do all over again, uh, she would have done more. <laughs> she would have done a hell, known a whole lot more about cybersecurity, not that she would have you know, moderated her behavior or done the right thing, but that she would have done more to ensure that she didn't get caught, right? Now, she said this on a uh, satellite television or a satellite radio show uh, from a guy named Joe Madsen. And continuing in the Washington Post, it reads, Madison hardly objected. In fact, he said CNN should have expected this sort of thing. The one thing folks need to understand at CNN, MSNBC, and all of this, when you hire folk who are, as you say, the, you know, their responsibility is to their candidate and their party, Madison said, they're going to do whatever they can to win. That's just, that's the nature of the beast. What a cynical view. Sure, Brazil is a longtime Democratic operative, but the network should have been able to trust that Brazil would care about the integrity of her employer's debates, too, and not abuse her position. Notice that Brazil said her conscience is clear, quote, as an activist, a strategist, unquote. She's basically confirming one of the most negative perceptions of political operations, that the guiding ethos is whatever it takes to win. According to this cutthroat code of conduct, she did the right thing by putting her party's front runner above all else. So again, the question that I have for you, the conservative, the Republican listening to conservative talk radio is, was Donna Brazil right? Was Donna Brazil justified in doing whatever it took to win in, in being, as, as this uh, Madison host put it, being responsible to her candidate and to her party, having loyalty. You know, we're constantly hearing from uh, reports from inside the Trump administration that Trump demands personal loyalty. Well, Donna Brazil demonstrated personal loyalty to Hillary Clinton. Was that okay? Because what I'm hearing, I, and I've heard it from folks calling into this program, and I hear it every day on the, on the, over this air, from various uh, personalities who you can tune into here at TCNT, and I hear it uh, on, on the television, I hear it at Fox News, the idea that because the Democrats do this sort of thing, because Brazil has the guiding ethos, and, and, and folks like her on the left and within the Democratic Party have a guiding ethos that whatever it takes to win is by default okay, because winning is... The, the greatest value above all else. Because they're like that, we have to be like that. And if you accept that premise, if you think that it's okay to do whatever in order to beat these people, then President Trump working with Fox News to manufacture the Seth Rich story isn't a bad thing, right? It's acceptable, right? Or is it? I genuinely would like to know. 651 989 5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. I don't bring up that story at the Hill 
on a lawsuit that claims that President Trump was involved in the formation of a story at Fox News, which later had to be retracted, claiming that uh, slain DNC staffer Seth Rich was somehow responsible for or involved in the hacking or dissemination leaking of uh, Democratic National Committee emails. I, I don't offer that article because I believe those claims. I don't at face value. Now, I don't disbelieve them either. I regard them precisely with the amount of validity that they deserve, which at this point is high skepticism, but not dismissal, right? We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see what, what the claims are substantiated with as this lawsuit proceeds and whether or not there's any uh, meat to put on those their bones. But the value in considering the possibility is that it directs us back towards this question that we've considered on the program over the past couple of weeks here, which is, is there a standard? Is there? And that the question isn't any more complicated or lengthy than that. Is there a standard, any kind of standard, any standard at all? Is there something which Donald Trump could do that would make conservatives and Republicans say, you know what, that's enough. That's it. That's the line right there. That, that's not me. That's not representative of who I am and what I believe in. Those aren't my values. Is there anything he could do that would cross that line? Would fabricating a story, would working with the media to come up with a story that throws the scent off the Russia investigation, would that be the thing? Now, I suspect the answer is no, right? I, and I have a lot of evidence to, that leads me to that conclusion in terms of the things that people have said that they're willing to accept. And they always point to as justification, well, look at the left. Look at the Democrats. Look at what they do. Look how dirty they are, right? Look at what they're willing to engage in, uh, the, the, the links to which they're willing to sink, uh, the, the punches which they never pull. We've got, we got to get in this fight. We got to get in the fight and we got to be, we got to fight just as hard. We got to fight fire with fire. It's the only way we're going to win. It's the only way we're going to defeat the left, quote unquote, defeat the left and make America great again. And I understand and sympathize with and share the frustration, which informs that position, which informs that instinct. But I disagree with the conclusion that people let themselves be drawn to from that frustration, which is the idea that there, there is no meaningful purpose in restraint. There is no meaningful purpose in working. But look, the good guys are always going to be at a disadvantage. Always. But it's worth it to be good. It's worth it to fight for a better world. You want to talk about making America great again? What made America great? Yelling and scre calling up and swearing out reporters and fabricating news stories and lying to the American people? Is that what made America great? Corruption? The, the very swamp that Trump run against? Is that what made America great? Because that's what we are apparently willing to accept when we say there's no standard beyond which we would be willing to object to what's taking place or what may be taking place in the Trump administration. Let's go to Cal in Roseville. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Walter. Very good. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to comment a little bit on um, on the uh, the uh, Seth Ridge case. You you had you had basically asked the question, 
um, if there's anything that is too far, if Trump can go too far and his supporters will then say, I've had enough. And I guess I'm, you can't, when you kind of went on in your monologue, you kind of uh, took the answer that I was going to say, which is it would have to be kind of an awful long way simply because it seems like the Democrats, they don't play fair. Mm-hmm. And I have a real hard time holding, holding the Republicans to a higher standard if the Democrats just don't play fair. However, I do realize that that leads to a pretty ugly place. And yeah. I think that the only answer to it, is, it, but I don't know how to get there, but I think the only answer is to make government smaller, much, much oh, smaller. Yeah. Absolutely. But I don't know how to get there. Absolutely. Well, you step one is what you just did. Step one is, is coming to the conclusion in your heart and your mind that that's the solution. And that that used to be the foundation of our movement. That's what it was about. That's what the Tea Party was about in 2009, 2010. You know, that that's what people came to hear about at rallies and conventions and gatherings that were opposing Obama's agenda and opposing the progressives, opposing the left. It was about taking a hard look at what government is supposed to do and how far afield we have drifted from that rightful purpose. And so the solution to our current dilemma is to get over our frustration with the left and focus once again on what our mission is. You talk about fighting fair. Listen, I I don't know what that means. What does it mean to fight fair? I, I think the concept of fairness in politics is a little bit uh quixotic. I mean, there, there is no fairness in politics. It's war. There's no fairness in war. You don't, you don't go into a, a situation where you're fighting for your life and look for a level playing field. You look for the advantage, right? I'm all for that. But what I'm questioning is just because it's a war and just because you ought to be properly looking for the advantage that secures victory politically, legislatively, whatever the context is, that doesn't mean that you sacrifice the very thing that you're fighting for in the process, right? I mean, you, you could end a war by blowing yourself up, right? Burning your own house down, burning your own country down. And then there's nothing left to fight for. And you can just be like, oh, it's over. But at that point, what was the purpose? What was the point? And that's what I see figuratively happening within the conservative movement. We're so focused on expunging the infestation of the of the termite-like left that we're willing to burn our own house down in order to secure that end. I agree with what you're saying. The the one problem and 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 in the in the in the in the back of my mind it does go through my it does go through my mind a little bit and I say to myself that you know we might be pushing this might be going a little bit too far. Certainly I don't I, I don't think Donald Trump is 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 a great president, um, but I think that he is the perfect president for the times that we're in right now. Simply because he's going to punch back, and I don't I don't see anybody else who's going to punch back and going to fight back as hard as he is. And I'm going to give him some leeway. I appreciate that, Cal, and I appreciate your call. And look, I understand that sentiment. I do. Because I look, I'm I'm not lying when I say I share the frustration of where are Republicans at, right? Where where's the fight? 
Where's the passion? You know, where, where that's something that our caller Ruth said last week. You know, that she appreciates Scaramucci because of the passion that he engenders and the passion that he exhibits in in his going against the perceived enemies of the administration and through extension, you know, going going after the swamp and going against the enemies of Republicans and against the enemies of conservatives. I get that. And you're right. There's an aspect of that that is correct. The the idea that we ought to be that we ought to pull no punches in our battle against those who seek to deprive us of our values and of our birthright. Yeah, yeah, we should fight those people. Yeah, we should we should punch them figuratively until they stop, until the threat has stopped. We should beat them rhetorically, politically, legislatively. And we should do whatever it takes in order to accomplish that within the context of, within the parameters of our actual values that we're trying to advance. You understand what I'm saying? When I talk about burning the house down to spite the, the, the termites, if, if you're willing to sacrifice the very principles and values which the left has spent so many decades fighting against and betraying and undermining, then you've become another instrument of the left. I, I, I don't know how else to, to view it. And that's what, that's what fueled my passion, which was very much unappreciated, despite, <laughs> despite my pulling no punches and being very passionate and being a fighter in the trenches. It was very unappreciated when it was directed against Donald Trump and against what he represented in his campaign. Now, that said... All of this can change tomorrow, right? He's got John Kelly as his chief of staff now. He's making good moves. He got Scaramucci out of there. You know, we, we got some articles we'll get into here about the the capacity or the potential for him to delegate those things which he's not particularly good at and to focus on those things which he is good at. And it is possible. It is possible, as has been stated by our callers t- tonight, that he could be the president that we need for these times. But it's going to require change from the status quo. It's going to require a new direction from what we've seen in these first six months. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. Twin Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.